Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I see the silhouette of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, me, Galileo, 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 we're doing it. We're doing it opposite. I went high and you went low. Mamma mia, mamma mia, mamma mia, let me go. For me, for me. That was one of our better ones. I mean, until the whole like mess up with the guy. I don't know, man. Freddie Mercury has set a very high standard, like oh. we do here on the show. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. Segway, man, showing up already. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And uh, we have a fun episode today. We have a special guest. We haven't had one of those in a while. Before we get into it, we have our customary. Card Kingdom, shout out. They are the sponsor of this show. So make sure you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Again, a great place to buy singles, to buy product, to buy deck sleeves. I mean, you can get a lot of stuff at Card Kingdom, all of your magic needs. One-stop shop, always a nice way to go because you don't need 80 different packages coming to you in the mail. Modern Masters 3. Oh. That's it. That's all you need to know. Go to Card Kingdom, order that stuff. Use the affiliate link, support the show. It's on the way. Spoilers start for that very soon, right? Yeah. So they might, I don't think they'll quite be out by this show, but maybe next week. Um, another way to support the show is directly through patreon.com slash command zone, and you can make contributions directly to the show. It helps us make things like Game Nights, yeah. episode three, which just came out. If you watched uh, la- or listened to last week's episode, you heard about Jimmy's awesome Silas Wren and Sidar Condo, or as I like to say, Sidar Combo. Sidar Combo. I deck. like that too, by the way. <laughs> Silas Combo. <laughs> Speaking of Patreon, one thing we do on every single episode is dedicate it to a lucky patron. And this episode, that person is... Luke Hogsett. Luke, you're awesome. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to hear your name on the show or just want to support us, again, go to patreon.com slash command zone. Might note that Luke is also a supporter of The Professor on Patreon, and he's been our patron for two months. Awesome. Luke, you rock. Two excellent months, hopefully two great episodes of Game Nights, which, by the way, the patrons all got to see a little earlier than everyone else. They got to watch the whole thing a day earlier. Pretty sweet. Somebody else who's sweet, who we've been excited to try and have on as a guest for a long time, and I'm glad it finally worked out. We've got YouTube sensation, (laughs) 
the magic man Sam on the line. Hello, Sam. Yo, guys. So happy to be here. Very, very stoked. Longtime listener myself. And um, I'm just going to plug a little bit of Card Kingdom 2 because I've used your affiliate link for a few cards that I wanted. And no doubt the fastest shipping there is. So, um, so yeah, very no happy doubt. to be on the show. No doubt. Uh, Card Kingdom and Command Zone. You guys rock. You can also find Sam on Twitter at Ristic Studies, which I think is one of my favorite Twitter names. Uh, you actually, did you change it recently, Sam? Yeah, yeah. It sort of fits the theme of how I approach kind of my videos and the game and whatnot. And um, Ristic Study, unfortunately, was taken, but it kind of worked out in my favor because I like studies. I like the plural. I want to keep studying, if that makes sense. I agree. I totally agree. And it does totally fit your channel. Um, if you have not seen the Magic Man Sam's channel on YouTube, you need to go over and take a look at his stuff right now. You know, Sam has a super unique channel. He has extremely high quality videos, um, very well thought out. And he does a lot of things con concerning like the art and the history of magic. S Sam, I, I'm always, I said this on Twitter, I think, um, when you release your Therese Nielsen uh, vi video short. And I'm always surprised that your videos don't get like 100,000 views. <laughs> yeah. <I> so... <laughs> I really am. They're some of the highest quality stuff, and, and I never miss them when they come out. It's one of my like fastest click-throughs. So, His channel trailer has 100,000 views, but the other content needs to get there because it all deserves it. Yeah, so Sam, do you want to talk about like what your channel is about and what sort of types of videos you tend to do? Because it's very unique. There's not a lot of channels doing what you're doing, and there's none that are doing at the quality that you're doing. Yeah, no, that was uh, very kind words, first of all. Um, Basically, I've been working on the Magic Man Sam for a couple of years. The first couple of years were sort of on and off until everything clicked for me because I came back to uh, I came back to school, and one thing that I you know started doing was researching a bunch. So I kind of approached the game in in like the scholarly way, with a uh, with a scholarly attitude. So um, so I'll sit down and I'll quote unquote archive, just read through a bunch of old articles. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm more of the Vorthos side of things. This is why I play EDH, of course. And uh, mm -hmm. so I take the Vorthos approach and I just, I, I go into a subject, for example, like you said, the Therese Nielsen video. Um, I just wanted to do like an artist study on Therese Nielsen. So I read a bunch of her articles. I read a bunch of her blog posts. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I want to engage with the game is, is basically the people behind it, the people making art, the people designing cards, writing the story. And um, hopefully I can put that together in a really nice, uh, clean presentation. Just take a bunch of my time and work out all the details and make it meticulously clean so that it can stand the test of time. Because, you know, I kind of want my content to to be relevant a year from now since I since I put so much time into it. So so that's my goal. And uh, yeah, that's the gist of my channel right now. And hopefully by the end of this year, I'll have know upwards of 10 more magic art series to um to add to the to the playlist and just keep rocking yeah the videos really are high quality and standing the test of time is something that josh and i uh, i think just both inherently valued when we started the show as well which is you're going to put a lot of time and effort into something uh it's something you're passionate about like magic the gathering why not make it the best it can be? And it's great. I mean, obviously, even just by looking at your thumbnails on your channel, you can tell that there's a lot of time and quality crafted into all these. And you have these a bunch of really great series, like the Pack Lore series. You do a lot of magic art of and talk about a specific artist. It's great. Um, I'm, I'm just a big fan overall of the <laughs> mentality as well of if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. So.
Yeah, I like also you have a lot of sort of his, history series almost. I like one of my favorite videos of yours is The Curious Case of the Birds of Paradise, which yeah. is just a really good look at that card throughout the magic ages. Um, definitely your channel is one of my favorites. So kudos for that. And I hope people will go and check you out because if you like the command zone, there's a super good chance you're going to like the Magic Man Sam's channel. Yeah, I agree. I think there's actually a very good correlation in terms of the quality of content you're going to get and sort of the breadth of content as well. Um, but Sam, we brought you on the show because you actually had a show topic idea. Uh, and we're not just going to talk about you the entire time. We could, <laughs> but that might get awkward after like minute 30. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm super humbled. I just want to say thanks again. But uh, But yeah, we're going to talk about some commander now, so... Yes. So the topic is called straying from staples. And Sam, we haven't done this a lot on the show. I think only Craig's really done this, which mm -hmm. is like, this is sort of your topic idea and uh, perspective and something you feel passionate about EDH. Do you want to talk about what, what the topic is? Yeah. So the gist is, um, I started playing magic. I learned magic through cube and EDH. So my exposure cool. to this game was on this side of the realm and standard came later, but I eventually just went back to like the quote unquote casual kitchen table type stuff. And um, when I started playing, I was just really, really like blown away, astonished by like the quantity of cards that there are in the game. And I think that's still one of the biggest appealing factors of EDH is like the gist in the cell is that you can play any card and it's and it could potentially be good, even if it's not good in standard, modern or whatever constructed format. Um, your favorite card, your pet card, whatever reason you have to play a card, um, you can make a deck out of it. And so so the gist now is uh, after playing EDH for like two straight years, uh, I've started to notice that in a way EDH kind of mimics those constructed formats because there are staples and, you know, games can take take the same trajectory over the course of two hours and um and since the whole goal from the beginning was to play with new cards and keep things fresh i mean it's a singleton format so ideally every day every game should be different but through the staples and through a bunch of you know the typical the typical ways that games go you end up playing the same game over and over so my whole goal is to to avoid that and um Stray away from the staples to use the title of the to use the title of the episode almost exactly. So mm -hmm. I'm still playing Soul Ring, just so you guys know. You know this this episode's not changing my mind <laughs> on that. You're one. right. That is the only card I think is the is the automatic until uh until I really until I really clamper down and and take Soul Ring out of my deck. Uh, but I'm with you on that, Jimmy. It's just too good. <laughs> but there's a slew of other cards that sort of fit this. Um, mm -hmm. and also it depends on what color you're playing, but there's like Sensei's Divining Top and, you know, depending on your budget range, there's things like Mana Crypt. Cyclonic Rift. Cyclonic Rift, I'd say, is like... Consecrated Sphinx. Ristic Study. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think it can be, and we're, and as every sort of new set comes out, there's the potential for a card from that set to become a staple. So as we sort of go into the future you can see a world where eventually the decks are homogenized a little bit more than they are now. And then yeah. maybe the format becomes a little bit more monotonous. And so I like this, this line of thinking of like, yeah, considering like, how can I change out some of my cards from what are the easy normal choices and change that up so that it can be more fresh and interesting for me and my play group, et cetera. And you've did the, you've done this recently, actually game nights. The reason that I've been very grateful for it in a different way is that it's asking us to make new decks 
consistently, which is saying like every month, like, hey, we're going to do this with a deck. And your Vile Smasher deck, like we've mentioned before, is now your new favorite deck and includes cards that you probably never might have played otherwise, right? Yeah, very true. So I've already seen the benefit of this line of thinking. Now, Sam, what made you sort of realize that this was sort of an issue or a problem or something you wanted to tackle or talk about? Uh, actually, it was recently. Um, I bought I bought the Yidris Precon and I started playing that. And about halfway through the game, I'm like, I have never seen half of these cards, and I consider myself <laughs> to be a big, you know, like an EDH aficionado. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other side of that, I was playing with new cards that I'd never played with before, and it was an absolute blast. So I think I think actually the precons are are still useful for people who have been playing EDH for years because you you naturally just fall into deck building habits you want to put all those staples in every single deck that you make um like solemn simulacrum is my go-to in terms of the most valuable creature that can just go in any deck and um mm -hmm. not having a solemn in my deck was just like mind-boggling you know so playing with these new cards and and i ended up just really really liking it i'm not going to change that deck because of how much i just like it as it is because i think if i add any cards to it it'll it'll swing the pendulum back to my side in terms of my deck building philosophies and stuff. So so it started with the precon actually. Wow. I thought the precons were really, really well designed this year. And I think a big kudos goes to Wizards for making them that great. Uh, our Out of the Box series, which you guys should also check out on YouTube, has us playing them out of the box. And there's a surprising amount of just stuff to do. And I agree, like cards that... For instance, one of my favorite cards was, I think it was Aviation Migration or something. Uh, Aviary Migration. Aviary, I think, yeah. Uh, but it, basic land cycles, which helps you get to your four colors of mana, but it also just makes a bunch of bird tokens. So this is a card that it just, like, looking at it, I would probably go, I'll just play a fetch land instead. But the card itself ended up making a huge difference in the game that it was played. It was obviously very powerful, and I think just as, like, those kind of moments, you have them a lot when you play the pre-cons or... What I like to do is like play Craig's deck and just like Craig, give me a random deck and play it and be like, this card I really liked. Playing stuff that's off the beaten path is very satisfying in that way, especially when we've been playing as long as we have. Sam, have you played, um, I think it's in the Idris deck, the Whims of the Fate yet? Yeah. <laughs> Whims of the Fates. What does that card do? I, I forget what it does. Everyone uh, <laughs> takes all their permanents in play oh. and they create three different piles and then you sort of randomly select one of the piles and blow it up. That's right. So each, each person, <laughs> that's... That's a card that I've looked at many times. You know, it's always like, ah, if I can, I'll fit it into the deck. But it yeah. always gets cut, right? Because, of course, I'm putting Chaos Warp and stuff in. Mm -hmm. And 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 I, to your point, it comes in the pre-con. So when Jimmy gets it in his hand, he's like, well, I'm playing this card. Because yeah. uh, when else am I going to play it? And I had other plans in my hand, and I literally just folded the hand up so I only saw that card that was played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, like, creates this story that's like legend in our playgroup already and it never would have happened normally because we wouldn't put that card in our deck so yeah i think and this is something we've sort of uh, a horn we've been tooting i would say for a few episodes now which is like bust out of your comfort zone try some stuff you know that you wouldn't normally try because we've done that recently and it's really been nothing but positive yeah yeah net positive for sure you know and just one more thing i'd like to add is there's a player in my play group um ian he always comes to the table with 10 or 15 cards i've never seen because he's been playing the game forever so he pulls out all these like cards from alliances and and it's a cool effect <laughs> you know it's a cool effect when he plays a card and we all look around and say like what does that say so we have to read it and it's typically not like the best card that could potentially be there, but it always creates a better environment, you know, because ultimately I, mm. I, I play EDH to play with my friends. And whenever I sit down to build a deck now, I think about how the cards that I choose to put in the deck will affect the table and will affect everyone's mood. Because if I can if I can play a card that Ian would play and make everyone laugh, then that's ultimately better, I think, 
than than you know playing another solemn simulacrum for example so so yeah so it's yeah. all about uh you know cultivating the fun a little bit yeah something i've been doing recently and it's been for game nights but I, i'm gonna carry it forward into all my deck building which is like i have two cards every time i build a deck now that are cards that i haven't played in another deck cards and i had you have tons of them we all do because they're the cards that just don't quite make the other decks mm -hmm. and as you're i'm going through like i don't know about you guys but i have like a couple boxes that just say edh on them and every they're just sort of the leftovers that got cut from the edh decks from before because i haven't gone through and put them back into their you know organized never mind i'm not organized i haven't gone and put them back anywhere <laughs> but anyway so i have these two boxes and they just have a whole bunch of cards that are generally good in edh or i thought would be good and so as i'm going through i inevitably pull out these cards again Chamber of Manipulation was one that I put into, I think, the Kaidel deck or maybe the Vile Smasher deck. I haven't gotten in play yet. But anyway, when I'm building the deck, I try now I try to say, these two cards, I'm putting these in the deck. There's uh, These will not be the, the last ones cut. These mm -hmm. are the whims of the fate. These are going in. Because I need to try a card that I've never tried before. How exactly do I know how good it is otherwise? And if these cards that seem really interesting, but keep they keep being the 70th card, the 68th card, they just get cut, but they almost make it in. Well, I'll never try them, and then they'll always get cut right at the end like that. So for me, that's been a new thing that I've just sort of in my head done, which is like, okay, I'm just putting two cards I've never played in every single deck on the first build. Yeah, and in our play group, someone made a really astute comment that I didn't really think about, but in our last Game Nights episode, which was like, oh, you guys look like you have such a fun and lively play group, and it's great that no one gets salty or gets angry over certain things. And obviously, because you're on camera, you're not going to get like <laughs> super angry or whatever. Uh, but it's something I realized happened as a result of people doing stuff like Whims of the Fate. Craig bringing Infect to the group wasn't a groan. It was a more of a like, hey, let's treat this as a challenge because I've never seen half these cards before. I've never played against this mechanic. This to me is exciting because it breaks me out of the shell that I've established to be the world of EDH to me. And the more that you play, I think everyone does this sort of cycle where your decks get more and more and more powerful. And then eventually you get to the point where you go, well... I'm kind of tired of playing this drawn-out, grindy game because all my decks have three counters in them and a Cyclonic Rift that I can play again because of a Snapcaster Mage or whatever. And you kind of just start inserting the goofy cards. And I think that's where the life renews itself in Commander. And that's part of the reason I think that we have a healthy play group is because people are unafraid of doing that. Yeah, it's exactly. I think it speaks to your ongoing discussion about the meta. You guys talk about this quite often. And uh, another player in my play group, his, his, his name is Mum. We call him the mum zone, but the mum zone is is our wild card, man. He'll show up to a table, and you never know what he's going to build. One of his decks is a chaos deck, and it plays. Uh, it'll play like the card you whims of fate, Josh, and he'll also play awesome. uh, uh, warp world and all these kind of ridiculous red oh card boy. effects, right? So he showed up a couple of weeks ago with a with a mill deck, and we've never played against that at all. But his deck is not concerned with beating face it. You know, he's not winning with creatures. He's just winning with weird wonky mill combos which is just like the pinnacle of, you know, quote unquote casual again. But, but again, Jimmy, I treat it just like, just like this new challenge. Like, wow, I have never seen most of these cards before. And it's kind of interesting to like work through a new maze, a new puzzle and, uh, and try to beat a mill deck, you know? So I'm so, some, yeah. suddenly playing like cards that shuffle my graveyard back to my library, which before never <laughs> mattered at all. That's hilarious. I, I love that decks make you sort of warp your uh i mean the mulligan rule for instance the vancouver mulligan rule definitely made me made my decks lower curve but before that it was craig playing infect yeah <laughs> we have very low curve decks in general in our play group i i see it for sure when i play with other groups at lgs's or gps and whatever and, and 
in general, our group, there's a lot of one and two drops played because we just have to be fast because you, at any moment, Craig could be in that game, be playing an infect deck. So you just can't afford to do nothing early on. But I think, you know, we always say it's on the show and really take it to heart because Sam's group is clearly like this too. Healthy metas within a play group evolve in that way where people react to the decks that are coming to the table and what they might bring. And so it's very, very good and healthy when somebody brings in something new and then the other decks are forced to change in reaction to that. And that evolution and that continued change of the meta is really, really healthy and will keep your playgroup sort of in a good mind space, as it were. And I think it's the danger is when that stuff happens and then people don't want to change. And I we hear a lot a lot lately too i want to say maybe because of game nights about a lot of house rules and uh, we banned this and we did this and i don't like to tell people how they like to have fun and play the game but i will warn you that that mentality is going to hurt you in the end i think it's a lot better to have the mentality of like okay they did this thing to next game session when i come in i'm gonna be ready for it and i'm gonna change my deck to be ready for it because then with that mentality what happens is then the other players go, oh, he did that. Now I'm going to change this. And you're in that nice cycle that really keeps things fresh and interesting. And you're not reacting on a, that's not fair level. You're reacting on a, okay, I'm going to take this as a challenge level. Yeah. Like you said, you can play with almost every single card in Magic's history. And if you're not a fan of changing a deck because you sort of perfected your deck list, then that's an amazing time to try and build a new deck yourself, either to help be better against what the other decks are playing, or even just to try to do something outside of it and attack the meta from the outside. I mean, the big thing, and I, I agree, I don't like telling people what to do either. I think you start down a, a path that does not necessarily lead to the optimal circumstances when you start enforcing a lot of house rules because of issues that would be better off dealt with in the conversation as opposed to a salty, oh, I lost the game, this is unfair, I don't want to do this anymore sort of mentality. Because it's magic. The game is built to have answers to everything and to be able to play against each other in a nice, fun-slash-competitive fashion. I think we should spend some time talking about upsides and downsides of this philosophy, though, because I think a lot of people are watching this episode and potentially going like, well, I would do this, but, and there's always a but, I think, with a lot of playgroups, we're describing a lot of the upsides, right? There's healthy evolving, uh, you're always trying to challenge yourself and others, and you're trying to make it more fun. And I think a lot of the downside people could point to is potentially like, I don't want to underpower my decks. I spent money on this, I spent time crafting these combos or these interactions and these synergies, why would I purposely weaken my deck to have quote-unquote more fun? More fun to me is doing better and not losing to the other people at the table, which is a tough thing to answer because everyone plays the game a little differently. Yes. Sam, you got any thoughts about downsides? Downsides, I didn't actually add many. Uh, I was just on the upside of all this since I'm taking the fully <laughs> left position. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... I think it's fun to always examine at least both sides because you know, as a player myself, I see the string from Staples and part of me goes like, but why when you could play the best cards instead? You know, like there's always that itch in the back of my mind that kind of pokes me like the devil's advocate. Yep. No, I totally agree. It's it's just about uh, kind of swallowing your pride a little bit. And I know that's tough to face the change and uh, and understand that, wow, I might not win as much as I could. But uh, but if <laughs> but if the potential for fun outweighs that, then at least in my in my in my philosophy and in my camp i'm gonna try for that so uh in my eyes no downsides but we can we can debate a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think too like i said there's very few decks where you're extremely certain about those last three or three to five cards Mm -hmm. um 
you're usually trying to cut down instead of deciding, right? You're like you're always trying to cut down. You almost always have too many, and then those last like three to five slots, you're making choices, and you have to, and it's inevitable. But you're not usually certain what those are, and I think oftentimes there's probably like two cards you could switch out for two random cards and not random cards, two cards that were in contention. And you don't actually know if that gave you a percentage boost up or down because you haven't played with those other cards and they were in contention. So they must in some way have an ability to work with your deck. And I think of course there are, there are like super tuned competitive decks, but most people aren't playing those. Um, The, for the decks and just sort of the generally high power level, but not like what we'd call competitive, not the the Narset super highly tuned deck. <laughs> then I think there's room for two or three slots that that you might be wrong about those last three cards. They might be better. Mm-hmm. And if you never let yourself try them, how will you ever find that out? And maybe they're worse, but you can look at it as sort of research, research and development too, as like an investment of like, I'm going to try this because then I'll know. Yeah, and then I can make that decision. Maybe I put the other cards back in. Maybe I don't. But let's give it a shot. I think people don't sort of give enough credence to the idea of like I'm going to be playing a lot, and so right now is this is the time when I should be trying some things so that I can, like I said last episode or maybe two episodes again, mm-hmm. win more in the long run. Yeah, and hopefully have more fun in the long run too. Well, yeah, of going course. back to that, it's. <laughs> It makes a lot of sense to always want to... Those last slots really torment me. Actually, on the Sadar Kondo Silas Ren deck, I spent hours more on those last slots than I did the rest of the deck because you are always towing the line of, like, how much fun do I want to have slash be effective at the same time? But I think, actually, one of the upsides of Strength from Staples is you do get to find the hidden gems, which we'll be uh, going through a list of cards ourselves. But this is also an episode we had with the Mana Source back in the day, which are uh, overperformers or cards that you didn't think looked that great on the surface but actually end up being amazing. Swan Song, I think, is the easiest one that we always reference to in that it's a super versatile card that only costs one blue, but it's just this card that is very effective and at the same time is not necessarily a format staple. Yeah, so, and you're you're always on the lookout for those guys. And just one more upside, uh, it kind of goes in contrast to what I just said. You won't win as much. It's actually fun to play not good cards because you become sort of inconspicuous. Uh, Josh, you've <laughs> mentioned this before. You yep. like to play these uh, these weird green enchantments that can you know you can enchant your land to tap for two mana. There's a series of them, but uh, but this is if, honestly this is a strength that Ian has a lot. He plays random two drop you know one ones that don't do anything, and he'll end up with a win because. He's not a huge threat. He's not a visible threat on the table. So so there yep. is slight upside of being inconspicuous, you know, not playing the biggest threat. I will also give people credit for having like a cool card that has an effect that I just think is cool. And so it's like, well, I'm not going to attack that guy because if I get rid of that person, then that effect <laughs> goes away. And yeah. so that, there can be advantage for sure in playing what I would call sub, what competitive players maybe would call suboptimal cards. Um, yeah, definitely. Something I also wanted to note is I love the idea of Warped World. I know a lot of people groan when that kind of card hits the table. Craig hates that card. Yeah. It does make games a lot longer. But the thing is, uh, I think a lot of people take these the whole... Sometimes, maybe one of the downsides of talking about Strength from Staples is that people take actually the wrong message from it, which is like, you should go all out. You should build a whole deck that's that's so different from your normal play style because you need to have this amount of fun. Or it's like, you, you're going to make a Chaos deck? Okay, you're going full 100% chaos. Every card in this deck better have a chaotic effect. 
where it is, it's just like, no, if you have those last three to four card slots, sometimes putting in one Chaos Effect, putting in one Whims of the Fates can just completely change the tenor of a game. And it's not like you went the full Monty in terms of going all the way and changing your deck. It's just like one small tweak here and there actually makes a big difference because, like Josh said, you're playing a lot of games over the long run. All right. Do you want to talk about some cards? Yeah, we should talk about some cards. I think people like cards. Cards are a very nice way of demonstrating what we've been talking about this entire time. Um, I'm so, going to add Chamber of Manipulation to mine since we didn't read it earlier, but we will read it later when I, when I get to that part. I actually just looked at this card, and I'm planning on buying some as soon as this show is over because this is perfect for one or two of my decks. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's. Uh, the way we're going to do this is we're just all going to go through one of our cards one at a time, and then uh, we'll switch each person, and then we'll cover all a bunch of them. We have sort of four to six cards each. So, Sam, you want to start us off? Yeah, so I have something spicy, and it's actually uh, a group of three cards that have similar effects. Um, stemming mm-hmm. from this card that I found in M13, I started playing Magic in M13, so I'm partial to this guy. It is Void Stalker. <laughs> For one in a blue, you get a 2-1 creature elemental that's with the activated ability of two in a blue tap. It says, put Void Stalker and target creature on top of their owner's libraries then those players shuffle their libraries with some fantastic flavor text. Now you see it, now you're gone. Uh, <laughs> Void Stalker is saucy because uh, two reasons. One, it, it, it gives you the tuck effect, which, uh, <laughs> which is obviously rest in peace, tuck. I miss you. But you can, you can handle some indestructible <laughs> creatures. You can handle uh, just any threat on the board. And this is a card that if it's on the table, people are reluctant to play their bigger threats because they know it can just be shuffled away immediately with Void Stalker. But the other reason I really like this card is there aren't many effects at instant speed that let you shuffle your opponent's libraries. And I, there's ah. been so many situations that I've played EDH and somebody tutors for something and puts it on top, or I see Courser of Crufix is revealing a card I definitely don't want an opponent to draw. Um, if you can force your player to shuff, a, a player to shuffle their library, you can get rid of a huge threat, um, and especially if they forget about it. That's the best part, is when you can sneaky void stalker somebody and, and nullify their <laughs> tutor. So I did some research, and there's only two other creatures that can do this, and they're both in red. So, Jimmy, there's hope for you, buddy. Uh, Hello, one is, red. Yeah, they're they're both one one red, one drops. The first one is okay. Bogart Forager, and to pay, you have to activate his ability, you pay one red, and you sacrifice him, and target player shuffles his or her library. But if we go further back to alliances, you get Soldier of Fortune. Again, a 1-1 one, one for 1 red with an activated ability. 1 red tap target player shuffles his or her library. So you can do this multiple times. Uh, and uh, Alliances yeah. coming through in a pinch. Yep. Look at this guy. Yep. No, it's just... I remember that card from back in the day. It's just a cool effect. And again, most of this effect comes on sorcery, like discard spells or shuffling graveyards back into libraries. But... Um, but having it on a creature is huge. Yeah, I really like that. Um, you know, Void Stalker, I used to play a lot. And then when Tuck yeah. happened, um, I sort of took it out. And you make a really good case for, for bringing it back in. And, I, and one thing I will say, too, that I've noticed is that a lot of us, myself included, overreacted to the Tuck change and just sort of willy-nilly yeah. took all the Tuck out. No more Condemn. Get out of here. Yeah, even <laughs> though Tuck is still great. Even some men- some reasons you didn't mention, which are like there are so many graveyard recursion decks that so so often like destroying something is not what you want to do. You would much rather put it back into their deck somehow. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'd say it's it's generally in EDH a more preferable form of removal than destroy. Uh, even though it doesn't feel like it, 
but shuffling something back into their deck or putting it on the bottom of their deck, even though you can't do that to their commander anymore. It's like a soft exile. It just gets rid of a lot of pro problematic things because, let's be honest, anybody who builds a deck and they have some creatures in it that are big and scary or, or important, they have thought about the fact that you might destroy it. They've got like that base covered. Yeah. And they don't cover Tuck, especially even less now because people just don't play Tuck anymore because mm -hmm. Tuck got, you know, quote unquote banned, even though it didn't really, it just for one certain usage it did. The nice thing about Void Sucker, if you want to play a political game, is what it does is creates a soft uh, control on the, the table. Like you were saying, someone doesn't want to play out the big threat. So with that, when you finally, let's say you have a board wipe in your hand too, you finally use the Void Stalker, and then everyone lays out their massive threat. It's like, sweet, well, I was ready for this. The Void Stalker, being the sneaky little guy he was, or it, is able to sort of hold the table off for just a little bit and give people what they thought was a window of opportunity. Uh, by the way, if anyone ever void stalkers my commander in real life, I will 100% shuffle into my library. Oh yeah, you're still doing the. I, it's still uh, come at me. <laughs> abide by the tuck rule. Yeah, dog. The previous tuck rule. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it doesn't bite you that much because nobody plays those cards anymore. Yes, perfect. <laughs> All right, Josh. Okay, so my first one is the Havlands. So the Havlands are the battle for Zendikar lands. Some people incorrectly call them the battle lands. Um, <laughs> they're the lands that say you have to have two uh, basic lands. Otherwise, they come into play tapped. So if you control two or more basic lands, then they come into play untapped. The thing about these lands is that, and I just haven't seen them as much as I think I should, and I've started putting them in more and more of my decks, and they're just so, so good because they have the land types on them. Yeah, it's so big. This it's such huge. a huge thing, and I think people underestimate how important that is. And also, they underestimate how often they're going to have the basic lands needed for it to come into play untapped. And so there's sort of two upsides, which are that a lot of the times, these are effectively old-school dual lands. They're going to come into play untapped, and they have the, the land tapes, types on them. But also, you can fetch for them. Yeah. So you use... Not just the expensive fetch lands, you know, the cons fetches and the what are the, the Zendikar fetches, but also like the slow fetches, like the Mirage fetch lands, that the fetch land itself comes into play untapped, but then it can it can fetch like either a forest or an island or whatever, mm -hmm. and they, it can go and fetch two different colors, or usually you can fetch any color you want for your deck if you've built it right uh, by using things like Shocklands and Havlands, but Shocklands are a lot more expensive than the Havlands. So the Havlands are like Cinderglade, Canopy Vista, um, Smoldering Marsh, things like that. And I've just found that the more and more I deck build, the more I'm pulling these lands and being like, I need more of these. Like every deck that has these colors, actually, I pretty much want to run them. The only exclusion I would say is full five color decks where there's probably not enough basics in those decks yeah. for you to ever have them come into play untapped. But besides that, I've really had a lot of, I've been very happy with that card. I think a lot of people that have started playing more recently have had access to these because it's been in standard more recently. But the players like me that haven't really bought these cards or opened these sets as much, it's a great investment as well. Uh, especially if, you know, like, you're like darn, I, I'm not going to buy a dual land. Well, hey, the Canopy Vista is a pretty good substitute in the right deck, especially if you have basic lands in that deck. So two-color decks definitely want these. Three-color decks, a little less, and then it goes down from there. But still, they're still very powerful. Um, and being able to fetch them out is incredibly, huge. incredibly huge. I mean, I would even consider them in four- and five-color decks because of just the ability to fetch them. So if I need yeah. black, but I get a fetch land that can only get red, I can still go get a, a red-black yeah. uh, have land. So. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, this one, Josh, is one that you introduced to me. And <laughs> the, the first time it was played, 
it wasn't just an overperformer. It was a shut-down-the-game-ender. And it's not a card that I've ever... I've, I think I've seen this played twice in my life. It's Humility. Two white-white, enchantment. All creatures lose all abilities and have base power and toughness, 1-1. One, one. This thing I'm changes... so glad this is not a format staple. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> and hopefully we're not making it one. But this card is unbelievably powerful. This is one of the most overperforming cards I think I've ever seen in my life. It just... It's the weirdest board wipe in the world, if you think about it. It's a board like Eraser. <laughs> it turns everything into vanilla 1-1s that do nothing. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, they just don't have abilities. So they're just not... They're just 1-1s. Like, and it, it happens... Like, There's no point at which they're not... Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really it confuses people in a weird way, but you're like, no, that's a one one with no abilities. I'm sorry, you can't, you know, yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, dang it. You play this, and then that enchantment that does two damage to a creature when it enters the battlefield. So, yeah. no, anything you played with humility out just immediately died to itself. What was that card called? Ether Flash, I Ether, think? yeah, yeah, Ether Flash. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was just like these two cards together just blew my mind. Um, <laughs> but the problem was that game took like four hours, yeah. I mean, but here's the thing, like, it's just in terms of like it's not a staple but it does everything you want it to it gets around hexproof indestructible shroud equipment it just flattens the earth and makes everyone very humble so i love that flattens card. the earth you know i like it quite a bit jimmy this reminds me of a of a card that my buddy built a morph deck around it's that that card that when it enters the battlefield all creatures just turn face down so they all become two exedron right yeah. right right uh similar effect except his deck could yes. exploit that because all of his creatures could flip back up so Yep. Uh, notably, it's also drawn by Therese Nielsen. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, Exodron. You got it. You did your research, Jimmy. Good job, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I also bought a uh, artist print of this because I love the card so much. Awesome. All right, Sam, you're up. All right, uh, my next one here, dudes, is a another saucy one, if you will. This is from my buddy Jan, the same dude who built the Morph deck. Um, Jan mm. introduced me to this card. It is called Foil. And I'm not sure if it's caught on yet, which is super surprising because he calls it the cheap man's force of will. Um, mm-hmm. Foil. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you get it. It's it's an instant for two and two blue. You may discard an island card and another card rather than pay foil's mana cost, counter target spell. So it's just like force of will, except you have to discard two cards and one of them has to be an island and you don't not lose. Not blue. Yeah, yeah, not blue and you don't lose life. But, uh, but yeah, it's the random... It's the random cheap, uh, well, free counterspell that, again, costs like 50 cents. But something you've spoke to um, on the show as well is the idea of counterspells and holding counterspells in your hand. Um, this surprises this surprises people out of nowhere. And once you play foil, if everyone sits down, you know, a week or two later and you, you start playing and somebody knows that you have foil in your deck, you could have taken it out in the, in the space of those two or three weeks but people will still play around it. So you play a free counterspell once and people will always think about it. Um, and again, referencing yeah. what you've talked about on the show, you can have a counterspell in your hand and if no one plays their cards into it, it's effectively as if you've played it three or four times. Josh has made yep. a big point about this. So so foil kind of fits that, but I brought it up because I don't think that people know it exists and it's just insanely powerful. So This card is amazing. Um, boy... This card's great. I don't know why we've never talked about it. I don't think I've ever seen anyone play it myself. Yeah. Um, and and once I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this card exists. But I, I hadn't thought about it before. Yep. Wow. I'm gonna 
first of all, as soon as we get done here, I'm ordering a ton of foil foils. You can Hold get up. foil foils. Yep, yep. They're also equal. I'm doing cheap. that first. <laughs> what are you I talking called about? It. Called it. Called I'm it first. Go right <laughs> oh, dang it. He's got the computer right now. Yeah. Um, it's only been so, printed in a couple of sets. I think uh, a dual deck and maybe Prophecy. So another super yep, inconspicuous prophecy. card. So, yeah. Dude, this is game-changingly good. <laughs> this is crazy. This is going to torment my playgroup now. Here's what I'll say. And I, you immediately know why this card uh, doesn't get talked about and played a lot. Because people are so consistent in their overestimation of downsides like this and not understanding actually how small that downside really is. Because let, I think people forget a very basic thing. You can pay two blue-blue and yeah. cast it. <laughs> so you don't have to do the discard an island and a card thing. You just can and the ability to do that is so powerful because you're going to do that in an instance where you would otherwise lose the game. So who cares about the two, the you know, the three for one in yourself? Yep. Also, why do we espouse the virtues of card draw so much? So that you can make big plays, and sometimes the big play is stopping the other person from winning. And having enough card draw on your deck allows you the leeway to three for one yourself and still be in the game. Yeah, yeah, you're in the you're in arguably the the color with the most card advantage and potential for card advantage. I don't advantage. think it's arguable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, black is a very close second, but um, but you're right. I mean, this this downside is virtually non-existent, and most people are paying three or four mana for a counter spell that's not counter spell anyway. You're so, right. man, I yeah, I'm glad you can speak to its utility. This card is sweet. It really, really is really sweet because, like Josh said, it's a regular counter spell, so you can still play out your game like normal. And just make sure you always have foil, quote-unquote, cards in your hand. And if you, like, tap out to do something huge and no one changes anything... Josh is taking a picture of my screen with foil on it, by the way. <laughs> so I don't uh, forget. So I can order, like, 100 of these. This card was actually built for me. It's called foil. Oh, man. I'll so. be super surprised if this card is not, like, $5 by uh, the Wednesday <laughs> after this this episode comes out. Because everyone's going to be, like, mind-blown by... This card's insane, insanely... This is another Force of Will. Another it's, Swan it's Song. It's Force of Will. It's another Pact of Negation. Mm. In fact, I'd rather play Foil's three-card cost than Pact of Negation's five-mana at my next upkeep. Because one, I usually forget and lose. Uh, <laughs> two, I need that mana. So Foil, very, very powerful card. I like it a I lot. I mean, so often you're sitting there in blue and you just have 19 cards. So if you could... Speak if you had for a, yourself. If you could just say... If you had a, a, a card that said discard a card, add four mana to your mana pool, you would 100% play that. So... This is sort of similar. Yep. Oh, man, I love that card, Sam. It's a, it's a mean one, and uh, this is the difficulty of, like, revealing your secrets because once it becomes, you know, you know ubiquitous, then it's not cool anymore. So, uh, you know. <laughs> no, it's still cool. It's still very cool. <laughs> I don't think we quite have the power that I just claimed we did I mean, as far as the $5 thing. Who knows, man? We'll who knows? <laughs> we'll, maybe, maybe. I hope we don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. My next card is Void Winnower. <laughs> His card. This card is just way overperformed for me. And of the, I think a lot of people are probably in the position I'm in where they build decks and then you need some top end stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to go to the Ulamogs and the Kozileks and the new Emrakul and the Blightsteel Colossuses. And, you know, just those colorless, they cost a lot of mana. It's a top end for your deck. It's a potential quote unquote win condition. Um, those are the very ubiquitous, and Void Winner I think sees quite a bit less play, but it's way cheaper. It's something. It's under two dollars, and it has an extremely sort of clamping effect on the game um, that it always outplays what the text 
you know, what it, how it reads in your mind. So Void Winner is 9 mana for a creature Eldrazi. It's an 11-9. It says your opponents can't cast spells with even converted mana costs, and 0 is even. So the spell can't cost 0, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. They can only cost, cast spells with odd CMCs. And this is crazy because so many board wipes are 4 mana. Mm-hmm. And so many removal spells are 2 mana or, or 4 mana. And so many counter spells are 2 mana. Yeah. Or four mana. You couldn't play foil with this out. Even statistically, if you just think about it, that's this card stops f- probably 50% of the cards in Magic the Gathering from being cast. And, 50%. And the next text is your opponents can't block with creatures with even converted mana costs. So they suddenly, it turns off a lot of their blocking. It's only your opponents. Mm-hmm. They start swinging at each other. This card, every time it gets played, in our playgroup it's caught on a little bit, um, it's just amazing how like people have consecrated Sphinx out and Shieldred and Void Winnower, and you'll be like, I have to kill the Void Winnower in that <laughs> in this scenario because then it turns on the rest of my hand, and then maybe I can do other stuff. But if yeah. I don't get rid of that, then I'll, I'm just playing with half my deck. Like this, yeah, I, I love this card. I would consider it when you're thinking about that top end stuff. And it's not Ulamog, it's not Kozilek, it's not that boring stuff that everybody plays. This is a card that sees a lot less play, and your playgroup will be less prepared for. This card's awesome. Yeah. I am a big fan. And it, oftentimes, everyone just turns and goes and looks at each other and goes like, "I don't have my path. Yeah. I'm not playing white." Like, yeah. or like, and I, now I, I can't, can't play my board white because yeah. it turned it off. So, you guys got an answer? Anyone can. Please, please, someone, someone make it block. <laughs> All right, my next card is one that I probably should put in more decks myself because I like this effect a lot. It's Cauldron of Souls. It's a five-mana artifact that says, tap, choose any number of target creatures. Each of those creatures gains persist until end of turn. So when it dies, if it had no minus one, minus one counters on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a minus one, minus one counter on it. This card is just a political fun time because... You get to use it once per turn cycle. Anytime something dies, you can essentially say, like, hey, I'll bring it back for you for this. Or, like, or a board wipe. You can choose any number of target creatures. You can, if someone has Void Win around, someone plays a board wipe, but you, you're not that affected by it, give all your creatures persist and bring the Void Win War back. Like, you are once again in a super commanding, fun position. Um, and you can strike deals with this card. Uh, it's just a fun card. You can use it the turn you play it as well. Overall, I think for five mana, you could you're getting a pretty powerful effect. Yeah, I agree entirely. Uh, I I threw this in Brago because I can just easily, uh, you know, the next turn after I blink everything, then minus one minus one counters are nullified. So, um, mm-hmm. so saving from a board wipe, this yeah, this card's insane. I think people play it in blink decks and they play it in plus one plus one counter decks, but they don't play it in other decks which don't even have that thing. Yeah. And so often, just one persist trigger where something comes back where it shouldn't have is so powerful you don't need to abuse you don't need to remove that one one counter and abuse it again just being able to do that for all your creatures uh is powerful enough on its own and i think similar to foil how people sort of underestimate the downside i think cauldron of souls people only consider it if they have a way to sort of persist forever you don't have to do that if your deck just has creatures in it then all of a sudden cauldron of souls means that it's harder to get rid of all your creatures Mm -hmm. it's worth it even though you're not like removing the negative one counter and, you know, doing it over and over. Yeah, it's a fun card. All right, Sam, you're up. All right, uh, I noticed another bonus, another uh, a positive about all this. All these cards end up being just like 50 cents, so um, you can thank me <laughs> later, man. You're conveniently doing budget stuff. This is, a, this is a card from 7th edition. It's a rare. 
Um, I found it randomly in my my like old foil box, and it is reprocess. For two and two black, you have a sorcery that says sacrifice any number of artifacts, creatures, and or lands. Draw a card for each permanent sacrifice this way. So, uh, cool. so obviously you're in the you're in the color that abuses um, recursion and sacrifice triggers and death triggers and whatnot. So I play this in Athreos, and in Athreos, of course, it just you know creates a huge stack because all my guys have Athreos triggers and they all have death triggers and whatnot. But I think I think the versatility is huge because you can sacrifice all those extra lands that late in the game really aren't doing anything. If you've played EDH, um, you know that sometimes you get into a three-hour game and everyone has twenty lands, twenty-five lands. And all you want to do is draw cards to get to your win condition. And um, that's why I really like this card because, again, it just does exactly what the card says. It reprocesses. It just cycles your entire board. And um, and you get to choose how many cards you want, to, you want to draw. So you can draw back up to your opening grip and never have to discard. You can just sacrifice all those mana rocks, like I said, and lands that late in the game do nothing. Uh, just an overperformer out of nowhere, and I and I linked this card on my Twitter, and people had no idea it existed, and were stoked about it. <laughs> so again, another hit, I think. Yeah, I love this. Works really well, with Cauldron of Souls. <laughs> yeah, yeah conveniently, yeah. But you can't play it against that Void Winner, so may as well be null. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> it works poorly against the Void Winner, I will admit. <laughs> yeah, I like that card a lot, and it doesn't. It's different than losing life in black when you draw cards. You're just losing permanence. But Marchesa. My queen, my Mar- my Marchesa deck is very happy to do all those things. Oh yeah, and Athreos also has stuff like Faith's Rewards, Second Sunrise, maybe. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, my next card is this is keeps the stock keeps rising on this card for me. Like uh, I tried it; it was one of those cards where I'm like, uh, I'm just gonna put it in. It seems a little expensive, and man, every time I get it out, I'm like. Holy crap, this card is amazing. Yeah, this wins you the game. It's, it's crazy good. <laughs> In the right decks, of course. Yeah. It's Zendikar Resurgent. It's five green, green for an enchantment. It says, whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. So it doubles the amount of mana your land taps for. And then it says, whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. These two things are so powerful together. First of all, we always talk about card draw and mana ramp. This card is card drawn man ramp. Yeah. And if you have a creature heavy deck, it so often strings you into exactly what having more mana makes you want to do, which is cast more spells. And so, so often you're like, cast a creature, draw a card. Oh, that's a creature. Cast it. And I have extra mana because Zendikar Resurgent gives me the extra mana to do that. Draw another card. Oh, that's a creature. Cast it. Draw another card. You have these turns where you just play four things, they all draw you cards, and everyone's just looking at you like, how do we deal with this? Like, yeah. what do we do? Like, this is untenable. If you think about it, you essentially get two turns the next turn you play this card mm-hmm. because you're every time you're casting a creature spell, you're drawing a card. Pretend like that's the first card of your turn, and every one of your lands taps for twice as much mana, so, so you're like able to turn. use it. Yeah, so that's... And, and sometimes you could even make three, four turns out of this depending on how many cards you can draw off of this. I mean, this card is awesome. Uh, it, it was a true stinker in Limited, but for five green, green, you know, like... In a, in a green deck, you're probably going to get there faster than everyone else. Um, I mean, Mirari's Wake is one of those remove on-site enchantments, and I don't feel like people think that the same about Zendikar Resurgent, even though it may sort of get to that I think Zendikar Resurgent in a lot of decks is better than Mirari's Wake. I would agree. Yes. Yeah, It's and I wouldn't have thought that before, just looking at the two cards, right? But I actually think in a lot of decks, it, it's just straight better. And you can play it in just green decks as well. And it's cheap. 
Yep. Cheap, cheap. And you know what? I've been playing with this in Xenagos, and because I've been playing with it, uh, it oh, caught on yeah. to the meta, and now it's showing up against other people. And this card, I will prioritize if I have a counter spell or or like a, a Rex Sage because I understand how insane it is. If people untap with this, there's really no hope because, like Jimmy said, you just get two turns. You get to double your everything. There's abundance. So, uh, yeah, this is on my. I'll kill this before asceticism. Those kinds of things. So. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's very it's very good. I think, um, well, I'm sorry to all the playgroups, or I'm happy for all the people that are going to try it and, and learn that it's awesome. Yeah, just watch out for uh, watch out for turn seven, everybody. Mm -hmm. Seven lands. Well, you're in green. It's turn four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's turn two. Yeah. <laughs> it's turn two. Wow. <laughs> that's that's ambitious. Another turn, card. Turn one, soul ring, oh, uh, mana crypt, and then turn... Yeah, turn yeah two. see, you can get there. Yeah. Wow. Can we not? <laughs> okay, my next card is another one that Josh has recently brought to highlight. It's Kervik the Merciless. Now, uh, I saw yeah. this in the Legendary Cube. Uh, we interviewed someone about that from Wizards Bay back in the day, and then Kervik was on there, and I was like, man, I bet this card is pretty good in EDH. Didn't see it played until Josh played it. Five black and a red for a 5-4 legendary creature human shaman. It can be a commander. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, Kervik the Merciless deals damage to target creature or player equal to that spell's converted mana cost. <laughs> it's so, so good. Even if you remove it, you still get use out of it because Kervik cares about A, casting a spell, not spells resolving. So this happens even if the spell is countered. If it's countered, you get two triggers off of it. <laughs> yep. Um, Kervik's awesome. He just goes around and just wa just womps people, just womps them in the face, womps players, womps creatures, and the bigger the card, the more he womps. Uh, this is a great way of of being able to like really deal with a lot of diverse threats on the board. And oftentimes you can strike deals with the person playing Kervik as well. Um, the crazy thing is that Kervik can just the damage he can do is just unbelievable. It, this can just end games at a certain point. I mean, you played on. Turn you, you play it for seven mana, so you know that people have a lot of mana available. And usually on those turns of EDH, you know, the later turns, people are using all their mana and either playing big stuff or playing multiple things. Mm -hmm. And either one's great for you because you just start chucking fireballs around. Yeah, he is merciless. Have you seen Caravac in play before, Sam? I have never seen this card in play, but uh, but I read it once I saw it on the list, and you're right, Jimmy. Like, this is... I just I just dream of the stack, you know. This this makes me think about the stack. <laughs> Let's put some things on the stack. Let's force people to put things on the stack. I had a I had a Rurik Thar deck that uh that eventually became Xenagos because my play group didn't like it for the sim similar reasons, you know. Oh, just funny, punishing yeah. people for for playing their cards. It's <laughs> it's a sick thrill. And if you target Kervik, he, you know, he'll go after something else on your board that you really value. So it's he's just like a hard card to deal with overall. Plus he can go to your face. Yeah. That's the big thing is like, if they don't have any creatures, so what? I just throw the damage right at your face. Yep. Boom. 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 All right, what's next from you, Sam? All right, dudes, I have another pair. Um, this, again, talking about Therese Nielsen, I found this card from researching my video, another perk of just going deep on one artist. You get these wonky cards. Uh, this is Wall of Nets, one and two white for a zero seven, huge wall. Um, at the end of combat, remove from the game, exile all creatures blocked by Wall of Nets. And then the second clause is, if Wall of Nets leaves play, return to play under their owner's control, all creatures removed from the game with Wall of Nets. So anytime this thing blocks, you just exile things, right? It's an O-ring, and so once Wall of Nets dies, then everything comes back. 
Um, this pairs well with another Rattlesnake card that was in the original Commander set, but that was years ago by now, um, and also printed in a very, very old set called False Prophet. For two and two yeah. whites, you get a 2-2. Two -two. When False Prophet is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile all creatures. So I like both of these cards a lot because uh, they're huge rattlesnakes. Nobody wants to attack into either of them. Uh, if they attack into Wall of Nets, their dude gets exiled. If they attack into mm -hmm. False Prophet, <laughs> then everything gets exiled. Um, False Prophet, again, is just really good with a sack outlet because you get to decide when the blo board blows up and um, and obviously goes in decks that y you don't have too many creatures. So any sort of like Jeskai or Azorius control deck, you just play False Prophet and you decide when the whole board goes away. Um, really, really, I think better Rattlesnake cards than, uh, than any sort of Death Touchers or anything because <laughs> no one wants to attack into these dudes. Agreed. False Prophet is an extremely good card in the right deck. In decks, like, like you said, with that don't care about the board wipe because people just it has that nev's disc effect where people just sort of stop playing stuff because they don't know when it's going to die like you get it it's not just you not attacking to somebody what if the guy to your left decides well i'm just going to attack into the false prophet and get rid of it mm -hmm. well i don't want to have played something awesome right before that happens so it has this interesting effect on the game where it sort of slows it down and there's a lot of decks that they want to set up their pieces they want to get things going it's not creature based and so false prophet is just so good uh, in that scenario, I haven't seen the Wall of Nets before, so that card is—I um, I, could—it's pretty good because it's going to block most things at 07. Yeah, yeah, it's an 073 drop, you know. <laughs> These are kind of like Collective Restraint esque effects, uh, Ghostly Prison effects, but without forcing an opponent to pay mana. But sometimes people hate on those cards, and simply having the Wall of Nets up accomplishes a lot of the same thing, and the player just still won't swing at you because they're like, well, the wall's going to block me, so no thanks. Plus, nobody wants to use their removal spells on a wall. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> so it's just like, ah, oh, man, I'll just hit somebody else. Yep, yep. I think it's one of the better walls. A lot of people uh, play Fog Bank. You know, that's kind of the staple that I'm, I'm moving away from. Granted, Fog, Fog Bank is a blue card, but, um, mm -hmm. but I think this is a little bit better than Fog Bank in certain situations. So, um, I've been saving this one for a while. This is a, a really good card, and, and it's sort of the replacement to your Twitter namesake. And I, I don't say replacement, like you could run both, obviously, but this card is much, much cheaper than Ristic Study. Mm -hmm. It's Mystic Remora. It is from, what is that, Ice Age? Ice Age, yeah. Yeah, so it's one blue mana. It has It's an enchantment. It has a cumulative upkeep of one. Cumulative upkeep sounds complicated. It's really not. It just means the first upkeep, you pay one, and then each upkeep after that, you pay one additional. So then the second upkeep, you'd pay two, then three, then four. So it gets to the point where you're not paying the upkeep anymore. And then it says, whenever um, an opponent casts a non-creature spell, you may draw a card unless that player pays four <laughs> generic mana. So it's Ristic Study, but they have to pay four. Instead of one. Yeah, and this card is very cheap. And I think one of the re two there's two reasons it doesn't get played. One is it has Oracle text, so I don't think maybe everybody knows because on the card, it says whenever target opponent successfully casts a non-creature spell, but the oracle is whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell. So it works against all your opponents. You can go to the gatherer and point people in that direction if they don't believe you. The other thing is the cumulative upkeep is it turns people off, but it's really, it's one blue mana, right? So at the very least, you play it, and you're pretty much guaranteed to draw a card on each other player's turn if they if they play a card. And the thing about Mr. Grimoire is you don't play it on turn one. 
you fit it in on turn five. You play a four drop and this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're, they can't take that turn off. They just can't afford to... Uh, and if they do, you're like super happy because you just time walked everybody. So they play a card, you draw a card. And so at the, at the worst in a four player game, it's one blue mana, draw three cards. We have a name for that. That's called Ancestral Recall. <laughs> so, which is a banned card and one of the single most powerful cards in the history of magic. And then you pay the one mana at least once. So you usually draw six cards off this one card for two mana, which is already less than you would have paid for Ristic Study. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it might even be good in early turns because it's non-creature spells specifically. So in the early turns, everyone's playing out their Signets or their Felwar Stones and their Rocks. So those are all non-creature spells. Yep. They can't afford to pay the extra four then. Obviously, drawing this late in the game isn't good because people will just happily pay the four. Four so much, though. I think even then, it's just hard to, it's hard to have four extra. Yeah, I mean, if you're only playing one spell a turn, then sure. But, you know, in the early and mid game, this is obviously a very powerful card. I think it just does a lot of work, and you're right. Like, who's not going to pay the upkeep at least once or twice? Th- yeah. This uh, is an Ian card to the max. Ian loves this card, uh, the guy who just shows up with random old cards. This is his literal favorite card, so I was grinning to see it on the <laughs> list, man, because, yeah, it does a lot of work, and honestly, to still to this day, I have to read it over and over and over again, partially because the old text <laughs> is a mess, but but there's right. just a bunch <laughs> of weird clauses on it, and uh, and you're right, it does... It's a hoss, man. It draws a lot of cards. So shout out to Ian, man. This is his favorite card. So <laughs> it's good to see on the list. It's yeah, it's sweet. a good one. And I'm sorry, um, Ian, that we just outed it to the world. But He'll be happy about that. How, He'll be very happy that's about that. That's how it that. goes. That's yeah. how it goes. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see more around tables soon. Yeah. If you're in a budget, on a budget at all, Mystic Grimoire should 100% be in your, all your blue decks. Like every single one. Yeah, I agree. It's super good, especially because I don't have that many Ristic Studies, and those are going up, too. Yeah, they're going way up. It's, yeah. All right. Uh, my second to final card is going to be Invasion Plans, uh, finally one. a red one. Two in a red, it's an enchantment, and it says all creatures block each turn if able. So if they're untapped and they're ready to block, they got to block. And the attacking player chooses how each creature blocks each turn. So... If I'm ever going to combat, if anyone's ever going to combat and they swing, they decide how the opponent blocks, and each creature has to block if able, which means if they have 20 creatures and you're swinging with one, they're all blocking it. Uh, This is incredible because you get to essentially pick off creatures from other players. Other players get to deal with creature-based threats by essentially forcing them into combat with invasion plans. Um, And oftentimes, this just makes everybody attack as well because they don't want their creature to be up to block this card is very, very interesting. Um, I think it creates a little bit of the chaos-esque effect in that it warps how everyone starts playing their turns. At the same time, this really benefits certain decks that have a lot of creatures or a lot of death touchers. And it's a really fun way to equalize the board out because it's not your invasion plan. Everyone has an invasion plan, and they're all choosing how your, your creatures block each turn. So they can order it however they want. They can put your Oracle of Moldiah in front of their random 5-5 because it has to block it, which is a lot of fun. You know, we've seen this in play, and I think people discount the fact that it's very often a removal spell the turn you play it. Mm-hmm. So you play it, that's you're choosing when to, and you play it at a point when you have a creature that can just eat somebody else's creature, but they wouldn't block. And what you get to do is play it, attack them, force that thing to block. They're not ready for it, so they didn't know to attack on their turn or to somehow get it tapped, and you just you just eat it. Also, you get to do awesome stuff like I've got 20 creatures, you've got six creatures. 
well, all your creatures have to block one of my guys. So 19 of them get through. Woof, gross. You know, there's just crazy stuff you can do. It makes combat like super scary for everybody. And you're right. Usually the uh, <laughs> the outcome is just everyone's like, I don't know. I just attack because yeah. I don't want to have to deal with blocking. I don't want to block here. Everyone's <laughs> going at you. And I'm, yeah, I get to choose. Whoa, sweet. I'm so glad I, I, my turn's after your turn, Jimmy, because now I get to use the invasion plans first. I can see this being good in a Xenagos deck, actually, Sam. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, actually, I laughed at this because I'm playing Breaker of Armies in Xenagos, which is something oh, similar, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know. Um, Very similar. And... <laughs> and no, this is this is a brilliant card, and if you've ever played the original Audric, you understand how how powerful it is to choose how combat happens. And uh, you know, granted, everybody has to block, but no doubts if you're swinging, then you get to decide the blocks, which is insane. Yeah, pretty exciting. All right, what's next for you, Sam? All right, so my next card is Warped Physique. Uh, I found this card sifting through Karl Kapinski's portfolio. That's my next magic artist that I'm spotlighting on the channel. Um, it is oh, cool. yeah, just blue black. For an instant from Dragon's Maze, it's an uncommon. It says target creature gets plus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your hand. So I like this card for two reasons. The first is, again, it, it handles like weird indestructible creatures, which I see a lot of. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking to what I said earlier, you're in blue-black, which are the card draw and card advantage colors in EDH. So grant, you know, you're, you're most of the time going to have a bunch of cards in your hands. Let's just say seven, um, standard seven. So, so you can kill these random creatures that are just a pain in the butt and you can't destroy them otherwise. But I also like this as a random combat trick in two colors that typically <laughs> don't have combat tricks at all. Um, right. you, you can buff one of your dudes and say you're playing a blue-black commander like Phoenix. Um, you're not going to be attacking with Phoenix a lot, but sometimes games go late and commander damage matters. And... If you're playing Rexiel, for example, Rexiel is like a 5-8 huge swamp walk, island walk, leviathan. And if you have 7 cards in your hand, that's plus 7 minus 7. That's 12 commander damage out of nowhere. You can steal a game. So I've just been thinking about all the situations where this, sure, it's a removal spell, but it could also be just a random way to uh, to win with commander damage super late. And again, like... Dragonlord, Silumgar, Una, um, Mirko, Vosk. These are all big creatures that can that can handle the minus X uh, side of the side mm -hmm. of the deal. And ultimately, sure, maybe you have two or three cards in your hand, so so your guy doesn't die. But I like having that option built in. Skithrix. Skithrix. Oh God. Oof. Yeah, it's, it's very I good. Hope Craig's in some not listening decks. to this episode. Craig. <laughs> I know you're out there. <laughs> yeah, I like this card. I like cards like this. You know, we screwed up in our um, in our Ether Revolt review because we incorrectly read Tezzeret, oh, right. Tezzeret, Tezzeret's yeah. minus, which is this ability, uh, sort of. It's I think it's the number of artifacts you got or something, but it's the plus X minus X. Um, yeah. Which actually does make it considerably better, I, I think, because it's not just removal. It does have the upside of occasionally out of nowhere you you win or or sort of do something unexpected on the amount of damage you're doing, which... That's not a thing we like to have in EDH generally, but we don't like to have it because it's narrow. It's not like we would never want that effect. It's just that it's just not usually worth it for a whole card. But if that card's also a, a removal spell, then all of a sudden, well, what do we talk about? Versatility all the time. Yep. All right, my last one. It is Yeva, Nature's Herald. Two green green for a 4-4 four, four legendary creature. Elf Shaman has Flash. <laughs> This card's silly. Also says, you may cast green creature cards as though they had flash. Cool. It's Vidalcan Orrery, Leyline of Anticipation, much cheaper for green creatures. Um, and green tends to be the color that has a lot of creatures. So 
I've just found that green specifically wants green doesn't have um, really very many effects that say all your creatures get haste. It has concordant crossroads. And after that, you're kind of down to a chroma's memorial, which is a good card, but tough to play at seven mana. Um, because you usually have to use your whole turn playing it and everyone is scared of you now. Right. Whereas Yeva can sort of flash in at an unsuspecting point and then you can sort of give virtual haste to your future creatures by flashing them in on the end step before your turn, which is one of the more powerful things green can do because green has a lot of enter the battlefield effects that you wish had flash, like you mentioned earlier, Sam, uh, Reclamation Sage, Acidic Slime, stuff like that, where also you just have a lot of big things that you want to be able to swing with. But if you play them at sorcery speed on your turn, they got to survive everybody else's turn to get that swing in. Now Yeva allows you to play it on the end step again and be hitting somebody before they know what's about to happen. And that can be a real big game changer with things like Avenger of Zendikar and, and stuff that's like, how many games have we been in where Avenger of Zendikar hits the table and man, it's the scariest thing. And yet it never survives to actually do the scary thing because the whole table's like, well, we got to kill that. Yeah. Here's yeah. a fetch land. Yeah, exactly. But if you go, <laughs> if you go flash it in on the end step, play my land, it's too late. People aren't, they don't have their, you know, they tapped out on their turn or they, yeah. you know, so um, I love cards like this in general. And Yeva herself does, I think, not see enough play. Yeah, it's a very innocuous card, I think. And, and people, I mean, this is a, a entire player affecting ability very important that it affects everything that you do so like that usually ends up making a huge difference especially if you got a big creature green deck bull boy this thing hammers home good. the card's very cheap and, and very good um my final card is part of a mini cycle it's the offering cycle that was released in commander 2014 so there is sylvan offering infernal and intellectual uh and uh, i'm just gonna talk about one of them but these are basically cards that make you choose an opponent and then either make you choose an opponent again and you essentially both do something together. Yeah, I think you always choose two opponents. Yeah, you always choose two opponents. Uh, and it could be the same opponent, by the way, each time. Uh, and it's actually really fun. These are cards that have added in that extra sort of whims of the fates experience for me. So for Sylvan Offering, X and a green, choose an opponent. You and that player each put an XX green tree folk creature token onto the battlefield. And then, choose an opponent. You and that player each create X 1-1 one, one green elf warrior creature tokens. So you get one big guy and then that many power and toughness in terms of how many little 1-1 one, one green elf creatures. So this thing has the potential of creating, you know, for five man or for six mana total, you can create 12 creatures. Uh, however, it is with another opponent. But at the same time, this is one of the best ways in the late game to be like, hey... You and me, we got to beat this one person. This person has become the arch enemy. They are out of control. The only way we're going to do this is if I can do something that can affect both of our boards. So an offering comes to the rescue. Uh, and sometimes it's beneficial to give someone these things and make other people go against them as well. It's, it's got a really interesting effect in that you really power up some other person or even two people. Let's say someone really just needs a big blocker. You can give it to them and like save their life and sort of strike a deal or whatever. And, and like intellectual offerings all about drawing cards and untapping online permanence. Like these are all really, really powerful effects and they're somewhat more situational, but they're also game changing in terms of either negotiating politics or just making a play that really affects the board. Um, intellectual offering is an instant too. And you can untap all non-land permanence you control and all non-land permanence and opponent controls that can, that can sometimes end the game. Like if I did that to Craig's Una deck, in the, uh, the yeah, last all of a episode sudden, we played. Yeah, you out then. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I think the green one is the best one. And the reason is that green's really set up to put you in a position where you're taking advantage of, like if you have doubling season out yeah, or parallel lives or, you know, that kind of thing, then all of a sudden you're actually getting twice as much stuff as they are because they don't have doubling season, mm-hmm. presumably. Don't give it to the person with doubling season. Um, yeah. Good I don't card. know. Yeah. And, and also green is a color where it makes a ton of mana and they've been sort of careful not to just give you like an X token spell in green. And so this is one, and it has sort of a downside, but you, you can play it so that that downside is really minimized. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I like those cards. Sam, what is your final card today? All right, uh, I saved this one for, for last because I think it sort of embodies the philosophy that I go for, and especially with uh, just taking out these good cards and replacing them with probably bad cards. Uh, this is Fiery Gambits. It is two Any in a card r- that says flip a coin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This obviously pairs well with Thrax Thumb or whatever the card's name is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Fiery Gambits. Two and a red for a sorcery. It has a bunch of text. We can we can uh, decode it a bit. Flip a coin until you lose a flip or choose to stop flipping. If you lose a flip, Fiery Gambit has no effect. If you win one or more flips, Fiery Gambit deals three damage to target creature. Okay, so if you flip the, if you flip the coin and you win one then it deals three damage to target creature. It's a lightning bolt, and you can choose to stop flipping. If you don't, then you can continue. So if you flip again, Fiery Dambit de- uh, Gambit deals six damage to each opponent. That's if, if you, you win succeed the flip. that flip again. Right, if you win the flip. So again, it's Fiery Gambit. You're gambling every single time you flip. <laughs> um, so you can stop after two flips, and the effects are six damage to each opponent and three damage to a creature. Or you can go for gold, and you go for the third flip, and if you win the third flip, then it uh, deals, uh, sorry, you draw nine cards and untap all lands you control, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So Nine cards. <laughs> yep, draw nine cards, deal six uh, damage to each opponent, and three, and three to a creature. So this card is, is a blast because it just, everyone laughs. No one's going to counter this. Everyone wants to see, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone wants to see this go off, and... Of the 20 or 30 times I've cast this card, I always go for three. Like, I won't stop. Oh, you know? yeah. Times. Always go for three. Yeah, you have there's... a 12% chance, by the way, of getting it. Ooh. You always go for three. Sam, you're going to have so much fun at GP Vegas. For that. <laughs> I, I can already tell. <laughs> That's you, it, the craps man. table, Gambling and you man. and me and Jimmy are going to be good friends. Fire Gambit. <laughs> but think about this. I'm not sure if you want to invite me, man. I just said 20 or 30 times. I've I've succeeded once. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> That's like defying the odds, right? Yeah, you're, you're definitely under the... Uh, uh, under the line there yeah this uh, not 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 super far right like it's one in eight so you should technically get it twice ish about in 20 or 30 flips and 30 yeah. flips you should at least have hit it three times or but, so i think a little under three yeah. yeah um this card is super funny it reminds me of that card i forget the name of it but there's a card where you flip a coin and then the opponent flips and then whoever it is takes damage and then you do it again and then until somebody chooses to stop. Right. And then you basically flip coins until one of you dies. Like, <laughs> yes, that's also an Ian card. Surprise, surprise. What is surprise. that card called? Uh, dang it. It's super fun. And every time somebody plays that card, I as soon as they play it, I go, I'm going until one of us is dead. Are you in? Yeah. <laughs> They're always like, yeah. And by the way, I've never won that exchange. I always, I've always died. <laughs> well, you can play something like Clark's Thumb, which lets you flip yeah. two coins instead of one to maybe up your chances next time. 
But yeah. where's the fun in that? Yeah, there's no fun in that. And there is actually some political... You, you can, I'd have is, fun flipping yeah. two coins. Drawing nine cards. I want to draw nine fun. cards in mono red. And this is going to my deck, 100%. Yeah, right, Dude, that's the, the equivalent of counting cards in Vegas, man. You're, you're walking a thin line, Jimmy. Yeah. You're going to get your, you know, get taken out back and your knees broke. That's, that's right. right. At least I drew nine cards. <laughs> Untapped all my stuff. Yeah. No, but I, I love this card because uh, but you can you can really even out all the tension, all the political tension in the game. Say the game's going later. There's a bunch of people hitting each other. No one's really talking. You play Fiery Gambit and everyone just sighs because it's hilarious and it pauses the game for a second. And uh, and again, you go flipping coins. But um, but yeah, this is just a fun card all around. Not very good. I would not recommend it unless you go for three every time because it's just a bad lightning bolt at that point. So Agreed. But when Agreed. you go through for three every time, it's a uh, pay three mana, do nothing still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Every time I play Fire Gambit, I'd, I'd go for three, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I would never not go for three. That's awesome. What's the point? <laughs> hey, man, when you hit it, so the one time that you've hit it, Sam, is that like a legendary story in your playgroup? Oh, yeah. You know, we all celebrated. Like, everyone was yeah. excited about I didn't even have nine lands, or I or <laughs> I, I guess, I, yeah, I drew nine cards. I untapped all my lands, and then I probably didn't do anything after that. Uh, but it's in Mizzix, so uh, Mizzix can go off with this kind of oh, card, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then totally. you and then you and pass in flames and you do it again. So yeah, so yeah, there was high oh, fives all around. Was Everyone was. I made I made some theatrics about it. You know, like I'll I'll flip the last coin and just and hold it and not look and you know draw it out, <laughs> slow roll it. Yeah, it's a blast. That's awesome. I like your style. Oh yeah. Oh, I I lied then. I did. Because we promised that I would talk about this card. Right. You have one more. Yeah, it's Chamber of Manipulation, which I mentioned earlier. Um, we mentioned on a show a few episodes back, because I believe I put it in the Vile Smasher deck. I haven't got it out yet, but I'm very excited about it. I bought a few of them because I, I hope it's good and I can put it in more decks. It's two blue-blue for an enchant land. It says, enchanted land has tap, discard a card, gain control of target creature until end of turn. Pretty cool. So it actually mentions politics in the flavor text. The flavor text I'm reading in honor of Magic Man Sam. Yeah. Politics is just a subtle form of mind control, and cephalids are master politicians. Mm. So I just like that any card in your hand becomes a threat and effect at this point. Now, it's not the Instant exact same. speed. Yeah, it doesn't untap the creature, and it doesn't give it haste. So there are downsides. But I believe this card is powerful even in the circumstance of somebody attacks you with something and you just discard a card to steal that thing so mm -hmm. it doesn't hit you. Yeah, it mazes the creature, essentially. Yeah, now it costs you a card, but again, you're in blue. I've tended towards these cards, and foil is a great one that you mentioned earlier that fits in this category, where the disadvantage is card advantage, because I actually build most of my decks to, to naturally overcome that disadvantage, because I build all my decks to draw a lot of cards. So being down a card or two is not that big a deal in a lot of my decks because I'm just, I built them so that I'm drawing, you know, back up to seven or mm -hmm. more than that most of the time. Um, I'm really excited about this card and it's very good, I believe, in uh, like Marchesa. Yeah. Put in some sack out. Let's go to town, boys yep. and girls. Yeah. Steal something, swing, gets a 1 1 counter, then you sack it and Marchesa lets you keep it forever. Yeah. Forever, ever. Forever, ever, ever. Sweet card. I love stealing things. And speaking of stealing things, I want to steal some cards from the listeners. Segway man! To the listeners, I would love to know what non-staple cards do you find yourself using or someone in your playgroup that no one else has seemed to caught on to yet. Uh, make sure you uh, DM me it before you post Wait, it on Twitter whoa, whoa. so that I get the inside info first. DM, us, <laughs> DM the command zone uh, Twitter so that at least I can see it too. 
All right, I'm changing the password next week. <laughs> but make sure you tweet it at us. You can tweet it at JF Wong, Josh Lee Kwai, at CommandCast, and of course, at Ristic Studies, who is uh, the Magic Man Sam's Twitter handle. I would love to find out what you guys have, though. So I can then go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Dude, you are killing it. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, you are on fire, man. This the reality is, is I have to pee and this podcast needs to end. Uh, just kidding. Yeah, but make sure you guys check out our affiliate link. Um, it, hopefully this is a great, a great time to pick up some cards at a very low price. I'm going to give the um, best pick of the show to Foil, the card Foil. I think that's hands down the best one that's mentioned. Sam, congratulations. Thank you. I'm card flattered. Kingdom cardkingdom.com slash command zone. I would go there as soon as possible and get your copies of foil because I'm going to buy the rest of them mm-hmm. because that card is insanity. Yeah, it's great. I'm very excited about that card, Sam. Thank you so much. And I'm sorry when I run into you in GP Vegas when I counter your spell with it. <laughs> when I counter your Xenogod. Whatever, I'll be flipping coins over here. <laughs> Josh, your cephalid confirms, man. That's what I yeah. learned from the show. Oh, so. interesting. interesting. <laughs> he knows I'm already politicking. Yep. Yeah. I'm politicking four months in advance, but yet I am actually doing that. Okay, <laughs> time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Sam, you got something cool. In fact, we've mentioned it on the show before because we know that you uh, participate in this particular activity while listening to the Command Zone. Yes, this is correct. I have ran so much thinking about or listening to you guys, uh, <laughs> thinking about you guys. You know, oh, we're bros thanks. now, so that's fine. Yeah, um, we got there. I've spent many, many, many a mile listening to the Command Zone, and uh, yeah, I'll be running my first marathon uh, next Sunday. That's the nineteenth of February, so I'm excited Whoa. about that. A By full, the time you guys full listen- marathon, oh, wait, sorry. Is full, it a full marathon? Full marathon? Yeah, this is the full marathon. I you, ran the wait, half you, last year. Oh, okay, so. so you've done a half before. I was like, gotcha. man, that's a big step to take from just straight into the deep end of the pool there. No, yeah, no, by no. By the time you guys hear this episode, you'll have run it. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, hopefully you have succeeded in running it, doing well. Um, and, you know, I'm super into magic. I'm super into running as well. And running has its own community and its huge uh, tournaments or, you know, races and stuff. And um, so my end step was going to talk about nike's big project to break the two-hour marathon and uh basically the history of the marathon it's never been uh even close to two hours right now it's at like two the world record for the marathon is like two hours and three minutes and some change but to but to basically take off four minutes from that is a How's that even possible? Yeah, it's oh, basically it's possible. not possible. A lot of a lot of the physiology is is suggesting that it's going to take thirty or forty years. So Nike is actually, wow. you know, making a huge, huge push to try and break the two hour marathon this year, which is insane <laughs> to follow. Um, yeah, they've got three athletes that are super, super strong athletes. They're training them, um, and it's just exciting to follow because it's talking about human achievement. Um, and yeah, it's it's to me. Sam, I for those who insane. don't know, can you? Can you? How long is a as a as a marathon? It's um, right. So you have twenty seven, twenty six point two miles. If you want to run two hours, you have to run at four minutes and thirty four seconds per mile. So you're doing every single mile in four minutes and thirty four seconds for twenty six point two miles. Now the big controversy. Somebody's with, done that in two hours and three minutes because that's yeah. not a lot slower, right? Like it's what's not the that much slower. Like two, yeah, it's yeah. just underneath five minutes for uh, five minute miles for twenty six point two, and that's just kind of like the bar right now. There's a few athletes in the world who can do that, um, you know, within within a minute or two of that. So, um, so, so, jeez, <laughs> Louise, <laughs> yeah, these guys are insane. But yeah, it's something no I nerd out about, and uh, I love to follow. And basically, if it happens this year. There's a big controversy because Nike's trying to 
do it under controlled circumstances. Whereas, you know, like the big running community wants the marathon record to be broken at an actual race. Um, right. You know, and blah, 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 this and that. Basically, if they get close to breaking it, that's a huge, huge step. And, um, and again, human achievement, man, it's insane. Let's just have a marathon where the entire course is downhill. <laughs> no, because marathons are standardized as far as like, I know, was it the LA marathon or there was some marathon that was basically like taken off the list because it had too much downhill, basically. Yeah, you you really want to, um, uh, you don't want a point to point, which is where you start and end in two different points because then the, yeah, uh, yeah then the topography doesn't even out. You really want to start and finish at the same time. And there's been a couple marathons in the history of the race where uh, times are taken, were disqualified from the record books because of a tailwind. So these people take it super seriously, huh. you know? Yeah, definitely. So. Sam, can you talk about your, um, just your training regime real quick for getting ready for a marathon? Because, man, running that far, like, I don't think I would make like six miles at this point. No. Yeah, yeah, and I I've been exercising for like five months, but I still don't think I would make that. Yeah, yeah. I've been following your progress, man. It's super, super cool. Running is a different animal. It's very mental. And uh, again, I just like to put on a podcast and run. But training for the marathon uh, has been like 14 or 15 weeks. And specifically for this marathon, you, you sort of have three or four runs during the week, anywhere between four and eight miles. And then mm -hmm. on Sunday, you do a long run. And it starts off the long run is like 11 or 12 miles and you slowly climb up uh, within those 14 weeks. You want to run two 20 mile runs. So um, so 20 mile runs, that's two and a half hours, man. You can get through like two or two, two or three podcasts oh during that time. God. And, we need uh, to keep talking for longer then because yeah. no, you I need know. to have more yeah, right? things to keep your mind occupied. <laughs> that's my problem with running is like. I'm there, and then I'm like, "Why? No, stop! You're tired. What are you doing? No, yeah, you can just stop right now. Why Go don't home, you eat stop? a burger. Yeah, aren't you tired? Like your feet hurt a little. Like I that's what my fries. brain's doing. Yeah, your nice your hundredth right your hundredth episode was a boon for me because yeah, it just meant a really really good <laughs> consistent run. You know, it's limited yeah. resources, set reviews, and that's it. That's yeah, it. you're right. <laughs> you're right. Holy moly, that is freaking cool, man. In fact, we really want to hear what your time was, how you did. Make sure that you tweet at us and let us know, um, and, and and we'll shout that back out for people after they hear this episode, because I'm sure they'll be curious to hear also. And make sure you follow Sam on Twitter, at Ristic Studies. Hopefully, you will post some results there for us to see. You know what I love about stuff like this is, like, you can do anything. Yeah. You can, like, if you just do, like, look what Sam's doing, right? He had to follow a, a regime and train for it and get ready and set, his, and set a goal. And if you have a plan and a goal, man, you can accomplish it. Yeah. And as long as you listen to this podcast, too, uh, we'll help you get there. So make sure you tell your friends that if you want to do anything, start by listening to the Command Zone podcast on Collected.Company. Uh, Sam, where might we find you in the World Wide Web's uh, outside of Twitter at Ristic Studies. You can find me on YouTube at the Magic Band Sam. Sometimes I upload to Instagram, but otherwise Twitter is the hub. So find me there. That's where I promote all my stuff. And um, that's been the best part of the community for me is Twitter. So awesome and Sam, if you had a video that you think is the one that people should watch mm. just sort of like one of your videos because you have a bunch but that's gonna really encapsulate you know everything you want to accomplish with your channel and everything that you think your best videos are what would it be i'm glad you brought, uh, brought up the birds of paradise video because that's still like my favorite video it's very short and concise and that story is super fun and i think i did well um, I accidentally made that video well before I knew what I was doing. So that video is really good. And um, the recent video on Therese Nielsen, or by the time you guys see this, the, the recent uh, magic art of Carl Kapinski, I think is a really good example of where my channel's going 
now, now that I know what I want to do and now that I know what I'm doing. So check those videos out. Excellent. And make sure you get, when you guys go there to let us, uh, let Sam know that we sent you, uh, your YouTube username is the magic man, Sam 33. If you guys want to type it in manually. All right. Excellent. Sam, thank you. You have been a wonderful guest. Uh, great topic. It's been awesome talking about some of these cards. I'm very incentivized to go get some of them now. Foil, 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 foils. Lots All of them. The foils. Thank you so much. Again, I appreciate everything. Big fan of the show. Big fan of you guys. Glad we talked. And um, always flip three coins. That's all I'll say. Ooh, very nice. We are going to have some fun in Vegas, man. You better (laughs) make it. Exactly. In fact, we'll probably have to clean up after you in Vegas if you're flipping that many coins. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And some people we're going to be hanging out with in Vegas, I'm sure, are Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, who host our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. You can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. You can find that show right next to ours on collected.company, which is the URL for our new Magic Hub. If you haven't been there, check it out. There's lots of awesome content. That's where our game nights go. That's where our, this show goes, and that's where Masters of Modern is. So check them out. Yep, and our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. He does the video versions of all these podcasts so you can see the cards we're talking about, uh, as well as our wonderful faces and probably a still picture of Sam's face uh, when he's talking uh, on the show. And, of course, you can find that at youtube.com slash the Command Zone podcast, as well as our live gameplay series. Not live, but it is gameplay series called Game Nights and some live action series called The Kitchen Table Fables. And, of course, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for me. Living Card Animations at the beginning and end of every show. You can find them at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.